having gone through three major um, periods where we had to say goodbye to people in a company and where the economic downturn was just rough, I would say this is probably one of the most inspiring and exciting times for me. It was definitely this year. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. As part of our pursuit of all things PLG, we recently launched a survey about product data and analytics, which will form the State of Product Data Report. If you're interested in seeing which tools, data sources, and metrics other product people are using, please take part in our research and help create a cross-industry report. Enjoy! This week, we're joined by Johnny Kwok, who is the Chief Product Officer at Hostel World, the world's number one and oldest hostel OTA. Welcome, Johnny. Hello. How's it going? So just to kick things off, can you tell us a bit about your background and your journey to becoming Chief Product Officer at Hostel World? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm the Chief Product Officer at Hostel World. Um, currently, I lead a team of about 140 people. And that includes the entire technology department as well as the product department. Uh, also includes all the designers, localization, as well as growth um, and also infrastructure. So Essentially, everything to do with technology uh, currently reports under my um, guidance. Uh, before this, I worked at a company called AirHelp for about three years. Uh, AirHelp is a Y Combinator company from 2014. Um, it's the number one company. It's the number one global company in uh, flight delay compensation. Um, the time I was there, we took it from about 400 people to 800 people and grew the business about seven times. Um, so that was a fantastic journey um, and also really great opportunity to work with a lot of partners from Y Combinator, uh, which is a super famous uh, incubator that's incubated probably the best companies in the world from Dropbox to Stripe to Booking even, um, just huge companies, I think. Um, also Stitch Fix is another billion dollar company. Um, and before that, I was at Rocket Internet for two years building companies internationally. Um, mostly, uh, most of the companies I built were in Southeast Asia. Um, and a few in uh, the UK. Before that, I worked in online dating at Match.com, uh, the biggest dating company in the world. Uh, they own Tinder, they own OkCupid, they own pretty much every dating site uh, that you've ever heard of. Um, and yeah, and before that, I came from a fashion and design background. So I was a UI designer for a long time, but back then we called them web designers um, and art directors. <laughs> and so that terminology has changed quite a bit. So that's that's kind of aged me. Uh, and yeah, and that's pretty much it. Cool, thank you. Hi, an interesting journey. Lots of exciting companies um, there. So you've got what some might consider a slightly unusual approach to product management, no backlog, no to-dos, no big planning exercises. Can you tell us a bit about why you've adopted this non-typical approach? Um, yeah, I think, and they're actually all really similar. Um, I would say that I, I do believe in planning exercises, just not huge involved ones. And I'll go into that in a bit. So the no backlog, no to-dos, it's the same thing. Um, I think with backlogs, it's essentially a very long list of to-dos uh, that you don't want to do today. So it's the uh, do later bucket um, or, or can't do now, but will do later kind of thing. 
Um, and I think the idea that a lot of companies have is that you would build a product and then you would build a very uh, strong backlog. So a backlog with a ton of great ideas that will bring impact as long as you get a chance to get to them. Now, I'm almost certain when I say this, that that is never, ever, ever, ever the case. Like it is near impossible to have a product and then have a backlog and really go every item in there is worth X. So all we have to do is do X and we'll get Y impact. That's just never the case. If that was the case, building a company and growing a company would be so easy. You eventually, essentially just work on your backlog and you have this amazing company. And as reality has shown, and I think also in 2020, it's been the biggest, obvious, most ridiculous case, which is like COVID-19, that is completely useless when your landscape changes. Now, if you're a company that is flushed in cash in a very stable industry where your growth of like 1% or 2% is what your aim is, this is probably true. You can have very uh, significant backlogs and you stick to that plan. But if you're a startup or a company that's trying to grow, you know, 30% month over month, this is by far the worst idea. And the reason for that is the opportunities that arise on a day-to-day, often your backlog becomes very useless very fast. Almost every idea that you have to improve whatever today is almost worthless in like two months. And if you think about, everybody thinks COVID is a very unique scenario, but in product management, especially when you're building a company with like five people to 50 people to 100 people to 1,000 people, the rate you're making decisions, you are experiencing emergency catastrophic events constantly. Um, if you look at a, any, I mean, literally any, bill, uh, any unicorn that currently exists from Uber to Lyft to uh, Stripe to anything, if you look at their history, they have experienced multiple catastrophic scenarios and incidents. People just forget about them because they only think about the present day. So you think about building a company, you will run into so many problems that your plan, your backlog is completely useless most of the time. Find me a company where they create a backlog on day one and they they actually stick to that backlog and work through it by day 100. It is almost near impossible. And in reality, if something is really worth pursuing, you should pursue it today. And the other thing is, the best, most important ideas or the most critical ones will surface no matter what. You don't need to document it. You can't even help ignore, you can't even ignore them. They keep coming up to you. They'll come through your team meetings or they'll come through your data or they'll come from the, the world or the marketplace or whatever. But that's the thing. Backlogs do nothing but just create mental debt. Um, and most of the time you don't execute on most of your backlog. They just stay in the backlog forever because something more important usually arises because all the important stuff will come up to you day to day. And you think about to-dos, it's the exact same thing. All the things I have to do today might not be the things I have to do tomorrow, but it might be the most important things I have to do next week. So the idea is to actually stay present and let things rise up um, and they become very high energy, very focused. And typically the more impactful things are the things that are coming up to you like now. Um, So that's my approach for backlogs and to-dos. With planning exercises, it's the same thought, but looking forward instead of looking back which is what we plan to build in the next 90 days, we are probably 72% sure, but there's a probably a 28% chance that we're going to deviate from that plan. That is realistic. Like very few companies can stick to a plan and very few companies should stick to a plan, especially if you're trying to grow because you're always looking for new opportunities to do bigger things. If you're a big company 
with distributed resources on very specific projects. In that sense, in that environment, yes, you stick to your plan. But in reality, as most companies, at least new companies, they don't scale that way. They scale much more aggressively. So you definitely have to have a different approach uh, than the traditional method of working we've always been used to. Nice. Interesting points and, and very valid, I think. Um, so obviously, we're from the product-led alliance, so we want to talk about being product-led a little bit. Um, I'd love to know what what does product-led mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so maybe product-led is one way to look at it, and maybe just product or product management is another way to look at it. Um, so for me, like product management, uh, I think it's a really outdated term for the most part. Um, I think historically, you would have engineers, um, and then engineers would build features, and then there was a CEO, and then there was engineers, and then that was how you build things. Uh, as time on, went on, people were like, oh, well, CEOs don't have time. We should find another role that thinks about the business and translates into technology, blah, blah, blah. So then this is this role of product manager. Um, and the weird thing is that's really not been updated for a very long time. Um, and to imagine that this role was really invented while the majority of the companies in the world are not tech companies. As of today, I would easily say the majority of companies not necessarily tech companies, but operate heavily on technology. I would say almost every single company in the world. So we haven't really, really understood the traditional classic org structure, and we haven't really revisited or innovated on very much. Very few companies have done that. Um, A similar example is product management and marketing. The goals are exactly the same, and yet we have two departments. And the only reason for that is Marketing has is ex- existed as a discipline for a very long time. Product management, not so much. And we've yet to really, as a, as a society or as a, as a company or whatever, really looked at the, the point of all these departments. And so product-led for me, it just means that we start rethinking how all companies think of each of their roles and their specialties and their skill sets. Um, because there's really no difference um, at the end of the day of marketing and product because your whole goal is to create value for users and find more users. And as a product manager, like your success is typically, at least at very uh, fast-moving tech companies, your success is based on the revenue you can generate from your product. And that's just should be true for, for all cases. Now, with product management, I think at some point in not so far future, you know, writing code and designing UI becomes automated and becomes a technology that you can enable. So at that point, what is the role of anybody's job? Well, it comes down to a role that would be as similarly described as product management, which is general management. And how I think about that is the role of a product manager as of today, you want to find opportunities to create impact. So you look for opportunities maybe in your user data, you look for opportunities in a market, you look for opportunities and gaps here and there, and you create features or ideas or strategies to obtain that opportunity. So if I think about product-led, the way I like to think about it is, well, I think all companies should just be value-led and opportunity-seeking constantly. Um, and that's kind of what I think when I think of product-led, just because within the discipline of product management, that, that responsibility and that skill set is more relevant and more prevalent. Um, but it is true for every role in the, whole, in the entire company. Because you can also imagine that if you had a company and you had an HR department that fought like product managers. So what, they, what does that mean? Well, that means they 
have hypothesis, they have a goal, they run experiments, they optimize experiments, they you know test data, they talk to the users, they create the whole cycle, and they optimize the process. And then if you think about the best companies, they have the best recruiting teams. That's what they're doing. They run A-B tests on LinkedIn with different messages. They send different emails to different candidates. They try different methods to interview you know, things, and they keep optimizing their own process. And that is what a product-led thinking looks like to me. Um, and that can and should be applied to almost every single discipline in the world. Um, because as a company, that's the best way as a whole organization you should really function. Awesome. And would you say that Hostel World is product-led and... and- do you work in this kind of way there? Yeah, I would say, so I wouldn't describe it as product led. I would just thinking like, you know, I would just lead it as a pragmatic company. And um, we made quite a big shift, I think, over the last, especially the last over five months. But really, there's been an initiative internally to really shift to this line of thinking, which is we want to move very, very far away from output and very, very, very towards outcomes. Um, so an example is, I would say something like, let's grow users by 20% in six months. Um, and that's pretty much the ask. There's not like build this feature. There's not like add this button. There's not like turn this green or blue or whatever. For my team, that's the main instruction they get from me. Um, of course, I'm there to assist with that roadmap. But at the end of the day, that's what we are going to uh, judge as and access and you know assess success through that metric being achieved or not. So whenever we think of doing something, at this point, we always start with, well, what is the total opportunity and what is our probability of reaching it? And then we look at costs. And so in that way, the company is product led. Uh, but in reality, I think that's just a pragmatic way of doing business these days. Great. And, and kind of continuing on about Hostel World um, and your current organization, Obviously, it's a, it's a travel company, so um, I'm interested to know how COVID-19 has impacted, one, the organization, and also specifically you and your product teams. Yeah. Um, so I think just generally speaking through the entire landscape, uh, you're looking at like negative 90% year-over-year demand. And I would say that's pretty true when you look at every performance of every travel company in the world at this point. So for us, it's not so different. Um so we're a public company. So a lot of this information is actually like publicly available. Um, so we started the year at a very healthy cash position. So we were able to really like weather the storm for a few months. Um, and we're not really um, a startup in the sense where we're constantly reinvesting every dollar into growth. And um, we're getting into that mode. But we are a 23-year-old tech company um, that is fairly uh, pragmatic and also very conservative of our cash. Um, and so... The reason I was brought on is to actually create that growth and to really think about that next iteration of the company. So with that being said, during this, um, we've done a pretty impressive thing, is which is we've raised more money. Um, and so three weeks ago, we actually completed a raise of about $15 million, um, plus some debt financing. So we're actually at a very healthy cash kind of position as a company. Um, and this is all public news. It's nothing confidential. So for us, we were able to really weather the storm for quite a while. Um, and really now the focus is not so much on COVID-19. It's thinking about, okay, well, what is the iteration of hostile world that we we're trying to build? And I think COVID-19 in a sense, and it's going to sound very crazy, but it, in a sense, it is the reset button that we really, really, really needed um, as a company, but also as an industry. 
So for us, this has given us a chance to really revisit the value offering that we offer to our users and finding ways where we can do that a lot better. Um, and when you're not inundated by your day-to-day of looking at every single revenue number, every customer number, you really get to focus on your fundamentals, right? So our fundamental customer uh, value offering, we want to double down on. and We want to really find that additional value we can add for our consumers. The second piece is you, uh, you operate one way. And when you operate in that one way, you'll continue to do so unless your environment changes. And this environment has changed dramatically. So of course, we had to redo the way we're operating and focus on different things. But because of that, it's really taught us to be lean, very lean. And it's taught us to make decisions extremely fast because that's the kind of level you are thinking you need to survive this kind of environment. So what we've done is we've taken this opportunity to rebuild a lot of the foundational pieces in the company. For example, we've taken this chance to gut out a lot of the tech debt, but there's also other kinds of debt that exists that companies don't think about. We've had a lot of user experience debt that we're still working through, a lot of design debt, a lot of tech debt, of course, but also a lot of cultural debt that we've inherited. We have a lot of internal processes as a company. Maybe it's one way to get something approved or another way to get a new computer. And all these things from HR to finance to product to marketing, we just really got to relook at and say, okay, like how should it be? Because we know this is the way it is because we created these rules, but these rules feel meaningless at this point. So what are the rules we can do away with as a company? So I would say that's the biggest like positive impact we've had on the company is that we really had a chance to look under the hood and go, why do we do any of this? And just revisit every decision, every process. Oh, it's nice to hear that it's not all been doom and gloom then. <laughs> cool. So... Um, You've created a YouTube channel with tips and tricks for aspiring product managers, as well as those looking to advance in their career. Um, can you tell us a bit about why you've created this channel? And also, what, in your opinion, are the common barriers for um, um, progression for product managers? Yeah, sure. Um, so the reason I created um, because I had a desire last year to start thinking about uh, my much older age and one of the kind of things you'll see about people who who actually really take their kind of like personal life seriously is that they start investing in companies and they start doing this kind of stuff. And so I made a little self note that, okay, well, Johnny, you, you know, you work in tech, you understand startups, you understand product, you understand a lot of these key mechanics. So why is it that you're not a good investor? Why is it that you're not investing in good startups? Why are you not picking good companies? So with this being said, I said, okay, well, you know, either A, I go find a bunch of money and start investing in startups, right, which is very risky, um, which has a long payback period. Or B, what you could do is start advising startups because you also can get equity and all this kind of stuff. So for me, I said, well, it feels a bit weird just to go contacting a bunch of startups going, hey, would you need advisory, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, okay, well, why don't I just teach people the way I would do these things? And I hopefully, hopefully, hopefully would inspire a bunch of people to start companies or at least start product management roles. And, and that would lead into a great, a uh, stepping point into a startup career, right? So my whole point is in doing this is actually just to create a lot of inspiration and motivation for a lot of people growing their careers, but also helping startups really get to that next level. And from there, hopefully the the, the content, the value is good enough um, that then I would have create relationships and then, you know, then I would be able to help startups in a more direct manner. So for me, it's all about inspiring more people to try these kind of things. Um, and just to show how not complicated any of this is, it is not an extremely technical art. It is, I would say, a pragmatic approach to like business. 
Um, and I just typically don't find industries that have very complicated vocabulary and complicated gated kind of communities very good. And I think expressing these kind of ideas and really it's not about product management, it's just about business and showing how it's very approachable by any kind of person. This is the kind of like, you know, mass appeal that I'm trying to create because I think this is very valuable um, as a society that we're always uh, promoting entrepreneurship, uh, especially through um, a scientific way like product management. What kind of relationships should ambitious product managers be looking to form internally and externally to help propel their careers? What kind of uh, what kind of relationship should product managers uh, be in terms of uh, with other departments or externally or just both? Yeah, both. Like, is uh, you know who should they be looking to make alliance with internally? Is it people in the C-suite? Is it cross-functional teams? And also yeah. outside of the clients, what kind of relationships? Did you yeah. find help propel your career? Yeah, I, th- I think like the default answer is probably like depends, um, but uh, default answers are for lame people. So I think for product managers, it is critically important. And uh, I won't answer the question about which or who or what or what department you should have strong relationships with, but I will start with this. As a, as a person in a company, the most valuable thing you can probably do for your career is spend the time to understand other people's problems really well and then help them solve it. So if you're a product manager and you start in a new job, your first week, and and it doesn't matter what level, from junior to associate to director to VP to CPO, whatever, like your first week, maybe your first month should be spent speaking to people that you're going to be working with and starting with one question. And that question is, what can I help you with? Because what happens there is that you're going to get a list. You're going to get a roadmap for, for trust. Because once people start telling you the problems that they're experiencing and you're the one who's going to help them solve it and you end up being the one who solves it, what you've done is literally build a roadmap for trust, for building trust in the company or externally. And once you get to that point, you know I think trust as a product manager is a very important skill. It allows your ability to influence decisions heavily. So this is what you always want to be indexing on in terms of the metric you want to think about, which is trust. Um, so the relationships you should develop and the kinds of relationship is all around you solving problems for other people. So typically in a product marketing, a product manager position, you might be working with marketing a lot. There's a lot of crossover. Oh, you know, marketing sends the traffic. Product manager turns into sales. Um, this relationship is much better if teams are very closely aligned and constantly thinking about the same problems. But it also means each of the teams really have a lot of visibility on the, on the other person's roadmap and really sharing empathy on that and then combining it where you can. So it always comes down to what kind of problems you can solve for other people. And it's the same approach for sales, for marketing, for finance, for HR, for whatever. Um, and externally, trust me, if you're able to solve a problem for a person that you meet externally, that person will be indebted to you forever. And you can definitely depend on that person to really help you in your career in the long term. Um, And if you think about the best cold emails that salespeople send, it always starts with answering a question. This is probably a problem and this is probably how we can solve it because that's the best sales pitch ever, solving people's problems. So as a product manager, you want to always, always double click on this and look for problems you can solve for other people. Nice. 
And if you could go back to the start of your own career, knowing what you know now, what is the number one bit of advice that you'd give yourself? Um, yeah, actually, I was given this advice and I completely ignored it. Um, so I was a designer and I had a really good manager. Uh, I was an art director at ad agency. So I was essentially just designing UI. I think that's what we call it these days. Uh, back then, we called it art director. Uh, and I think that role still exists, but in a different capacity. Uh, but yeah, I was essentially a senior UI UX designer. Um, and my boss at the time, the creative director, which we don't have many more of those anymore, apparently. But yeah, creative director was a much more common title at the time. Um, during our feedback, uh, annual feedback, he told me that, um, you know, your work is good. The designs are great. The details are fine. You really think for all the problems, but you're not strategic enough. And I think as a designer, especially just hearing that kind of feedback, I just thought it was like fluffy BS. I was like, what is strategic? Like, what is strategy? Like I, I design cool interfaces that people click on and, you know, I make people do things and, you know, like. What is strategy? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and yeah, I just ignored it for about like seven years. And I think at some point in my career as a product manager was when I realized that that, that detail of being able to verbalize and also to interpret and to understand a business strategy or any kind of strategy was the one piece that would push me from a product manager to a role that would be managing people. That is essentially the key part. And I would say 90% of product managers do not move forward in their career because they are so stuck in the tactics and the features. And they think only about features and tactics and, and users and surveys and all that stuff. But they never, ever are able to verbalize themselves as a strategic, strategic person. And that means that you're able to look at a problem, maybe an opportunity of users dropping off on a certain step. And then thinking about how the entire landscape of the space you're in, how that affects that, and all the levers in that space that you would have to move to make this problem go away. That is a powerful product manager. It's not the person who knows the best growth hack or the best funnel or the best design or all this kind of stuff. It's the person who strings all those people together into a formulated kind of strategy that's easy to understand from everybody in the organization. That is the one skill no product manager has until they start managing people or taking on a significant amount more responsibility. And it's clearly the reason why a director of product doesn't become an executive. That's clearly, clearly the reason. Um, so that's the advice I would say, just start working on that strategy muscle very early in your career. Interesting. And, and what would you say is your favorite aspect of product leadership? I think it's the variety of problems you run into every day. Um, I think product management is, let's say, very different than, uh, let's say, design. Design, you're solving a lot of user problems. You're thinking about how this interface will interact with that person. But as a product manager, you're thinking about that piece, as well as the copy, as well as the engineering, about how the tech stack should be, about the tech that you're going to have to deal with, about how you're going to scale this in the market, how you're going to grow. So it just keeps going. And in a sense, it is one of the best training roles for you to take on a general management role in the future. Because I believe the best product managers in the world, in the entire world, they could probably do any job because the thought process for solving a problem is so much the same, right? Which is like, take a look at the landscape. What is the data telling you? What's the hypothesis you might have? What's the experiment you would run? How do you validate that? And how do you repeat that feedback cycle? 
there's no role and there's no problem in a company that wouldn't benefit from that kind of process. So I think for me, it's about the vast amount of different skill sets you have to really pick up and you have to understand quite deeply. Um, that's the work side of it. And I think the other side is the people part of it. I mean, you really work with so many different capabilities and skill sets when you're interacting on a day-to-day basis. And one moment you're speaking to engineers about how you should build a technical solution for some problem. Another one you're negotiating with maybe the finance team to, you know, to hire more people. And then on the third, you, you know, you, maybe you're strategizing about the brand or marketing. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, and in reality, that is, that is so damn fun because you never feel cut off from the rest of the company. You never feel cut off as an individual. You're always involved in so many different things. You get exposure to that. Um, for me, that is uh, by far the most rewarding thing. Great. And then my final question, I think it might be a tough one because I'm sure you've got many, but what would you rate as your biggest career highlight to date? Um, Having gone through three major um, periods where we had to say goodbye to people in a company and where the economic downturn was just rough, I would say this is probably one of the most inspiring and exciting times for me. It was definitely this year. Um, It's pretty rare that you get to be in the absolute eye of the storm. And I literally mean, you know, it's like a natural disaster level problem. Um, And then being able to kind of go through it and go through the motions and go through the experiences and go through the problems that arise that are very different than than all the problems I've ever faced before. and then when you're done with this period, you know, you will look back and said, wow, you know, I really got to work at a company that was in the middle of one of the worst financial crises in the history of mankind. And I was able to take that and pull it forward to another state. That's by far one of the most impressive stories I'll ever tell in my life. Um, and certainly on a resume, this is probably the coolest thing you could ever write. Because even the first time I had to, I ran into running a company where we had to say goodbye to people and we had to cut, co- you know, all this cost cutting, and all this kind of stuff. I find this exercise to be not fun or enjoyable, but it is so educating and it is so informative and you learn so much. Um, and every time I go through that, I become so much just more like more wise from that scenario. And this year, this has been more the case than it ever has. So I feel like my personal knowledge and my personal growth has like probably like increased by a hundred percent easily within three months. So for that, I'm actually quite thankful. Um, and when I look back and probably by the end of my career, I don't know if we're ever really experienced a scenario where it's just like bad, especially in the industry I am currently in. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to look back at this and just find this to be one of the most rewarding periods of my life. Um, even if it doesn't work out. At the end of the day, because you get to go for the experiences, you get to see all the, you know, the emotions and all this stuff, and you get to deal with all of it, and you get to work through it. And at the end of the day, you, like nothing really takes away from that experience. So for me, my absolute career highlight is being in this moment right now, dealing with this very specific problem, which is the biggest problem we have ever faced as a society um, in the modern day of uh, civilization. So pretty fantastic, I would say. Awesome. I, it's inspiring how you've found so much positivity in these difficult times so yeah hats off to you well that concludes the interview thank you so much johnny really appreciate your your insights and um and your wisdom um so yeah thank you so much for joining us
Thank you so much. It was a total pleasure. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the product-led audience. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.